Welcome to Two Cents FC. We are back again. I'm your host, Emilio Kugo, with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world and giving you our unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by pro soccer player, Kaya McCullough. And this week, we'll be discussing Utah Royals relocation to Kansas City, NWSL ratings, and Megan Raponi and the slippery slope of Alice Ship. I probably butchered her last name as Rapino. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because we grew up in the same like area. She played for the same like club that I did growing up. So sorry if you're listening, Megan. Um, but Kaya, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm doing well. It's it's nice and sunny in SoCal, so it's hard to really complain about too much. No. I'm personally excited because when L said he had you on you know, scheduled to have us have you on our podcast. He was like, you know, this young lady, she, you know, she speaks her mind. She's a baller. Uh, she does a lot of good things. But the first question we ask everybody is, when did you fall in love with soccer? Um, that's a tough, I mean, I started playing soccer when I was five and I didn't really ever want to do anything else. So I don't know if I knew what love was back then, but <laughs> I think I definitely fell in love with it when I was a kid. And I think that's evident that it's literally the only sport that I've ever done, except for track in high school. But that was like to get me in shape for soccer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, at a pretty early age, I fell in love with it and never looked back. That's amazing. So, you know, we spoke offline. You mentioned both your parents were student athletes at your alma mater. Did they have a history in soccer as well? Uh, I think my mom played rec soccer when she was a kid, but she was a gymnast. So, you know, that starts pretty early. And mm-hmm. then my dad went there for football. Um, I think he played high school soccer. So he kind of he, he knew about it. Um, but I wouldn't say either of them have like an extensive background in soccer. They kind of learned the game as I did, I think. Okay. It's always, always interesting. So when you have parents that are like athletes, were they trying to coach you in soccer, even though they didn't have, obviously your experience, you being a professional? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> not my mom, definitely my mom, <laughs> my dad, maybe a little bit just because he played, but I think that stopped as I started, you know, getting more elite because he realized that there was stuff that he couldn't really teach me, but definitely as a kid, like he was never my coach or anything, but I think he tried to like give me tips on what to do. Um, so, so yes and no, but more so my dad, not my mom. Okay. And uh, describe what it was like, you know, we're both from NorCal, you're from SoCal, you know, in the Orange County area playing youth soccer um, in that area. It was it was really high level, and I don't think I really realized that until after I started ECNL um, and started traveling to other states to play other teams. Um, because before I was just always playing teams in SoCal, and I think anybody who talks to you will talk about how competitive youth soccer in Southern California and Northern California is. Um, so it was really an environment that I think has produced a lot of stars and. Um, I mean, most of my team at UCLA was from California, mm-hmm. besides a few internationals. So um, I think it was just a really competitive environment. And I think it really helped fuel me to get me where I am today. Uh, so I'm grateful for it. But like I said, it, it was it's big on soccer culture in Southern California, which is kind of cool. And I wish the rest of the country was like that. 
No, I respect. So, like, what was your experience like, uh, you know, playing youth sports, uh, specifically youth soccer? Because I remember playing soccer, you know, as an African-American. You're usually one of two, three, if you're lucky, uh, on the team, you know. So how was it for you? Yeah, I mean, Orange County, it wasn't any different than growing up in Orange County. Orange County is very predominantly white, so I was always kind of one of the only black kids anyways. Um, obviously, I'm mixed, I'm a little bit lighter. I'm My dad's black, my mom's white. So, I mean, I still didn't look like people, but um, there was a few other, throughout the years, there was a few other teammates that I had that were also mixed. So I never necessarily felt um, like I was out of place, but definitely not a lot of representation for people of color in the soccer scene across the board um, and Mm -hmm. definitely not in Orange County. So I think there was a few of us though. um, So I'd never felt like I was out of place, like I said, but it definitely took me a while. It took me till I was an adult to really realize like just how whitewashed the sport is in general. Mm-hmm. just because I think I kind of grew up in an area that was already whitewashed. So I didn't really think any different of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I don't know, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so have you like growing up did you ever have like a coach of minority descent or African-American descent? No, I no. No, I did not. I had, I had a few, a few like personal trainers, um, mm-hmm. like that I did privates with yeah. that were black, but never a coach, which looking back now, I'm like, well, what the hell? <laughs> like, why not? Um, but yeah. And I think to this day, I still haven't had a coach of color, Yeah, that... which is also not great. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I, I feel like I came up kind of the same way. Well, like, like similar to your dad, he coached you. My dad was my coach um, per se, but outside of that, I don't think outside of like coach Desmond Armstrong, when we were at a national team camp, he was really like the first hands-on African-American black coach. And um, that, that dynamic is, is life-changing in the sense of being able to see someone in front of you that's been there, done that. So I'm glad you shared that because I always thought it was interesting, you know, asking people, um, especially African-American descent, you know, their their upbringing when it came to the sport of soccer. Yeah, no, I I mean, I wish that there was that experience for me. I think there's a level of understanding that white coaches just can't relate to. And I mean, thinking about it, like I didn't even have a, a black teacher until I was in college. So, I mean, not a similar, I mean, kind of a similar experience, but I know how much of that helped me as a student. So I can only Mm -hmm. imagine how much that would have helped me as an athlete, because I think it's important to see yourself in the people that you're around all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to see yourself in media and all that good stuff. But yeah, um, definitely needs to be more black coaches, especially at the youth level, because I think that that would help a lot of young kids growing up um especially in a sport like soccer that is so whitewashed um yeah no and you speak can you can you name the call uh not the college sorry the class that you you took at college with your first black teacher um it was 
I think it was an American suburbanization class. I honestly think it was my last quarter um, at UCLA. I mean, there might have been one before, but or it might have been a Chicano study, actually. I think she might have been um, half black, half Mexican or something. Yeah, so it was like a Chicano study class. It was an elective. Like, it wasn't even a class that I necessarily had to take. I I just happened to be put in it and it was so cool learning about like the intersection of race. Uh, So that actually was my sophomore year. It was really cool learning about the intersection of race um, in like a a Chicano sense. Like I learned a lot about Chicano Americans, but she also emphasized a lot of the black experience in the class, which I thought was really cool. So it was just nice to be taught by a woman of color. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And to see like her, get to that level of like tenure at a place like UCLA was really cool for me too and I definitely it definitely made me work a lot harder in the class just because (laughs) I I wanted her to like respect me um so yeah that was my first experience no mad respect and you know shout out to UCLA one time I'm not going to make you do an a clap or anything like that but what was the decision behind UCLA you know we spoke offline both your parents went there it's a it's a powerhouse but I, I feel like you had a lot of talent to go anywhere you wanted yeah, my top three were always, um, this was kind of hammered into me as a kid. My top three were always Stanford, Cal, and UCLA. So I never honestly really considered any other place, which is like, I guess, weird to say, but I never did. Uh, definitely not USC. My dad literally told me he would never let me go to USC, <laughs> even though they have a great program. Uh-huh. Um, so... Yeah, I I had gone on my visits to Stanford. I was a sophomore in high school. So I was like 14, 15. I had gone on my visits to Stanford and Cal and I liked them. I really liked Stanford too, but it was weird going to UCLA on my unofficial visit and like seeing the team. I think it was right after they had won the national championship the last year, um, meeting the staff and kind of going to the campus as my own person and not just as like a Bruin baby, you know, not just visiting my parents friends or their alma mater like going there and really putting myself in my own shoes and seeing myself walking the halls I think really solidified it for me and after that I was I was kind of hooked and it just so happened that after my visit I got offered pretty soon after and I honestly didn't even really hesitate I was like yeah like give me the day to think about it but I was like oh I'm sold like I'm totally going and it ended up being like one of the greatest decisions I've ever made so I'm thankful that my 15 year old self had the common sense to pick UCLA because that's a big decision as a kid no respect I I always tell people like once they get you on the UCLA campus it's different you know it's It's over it's it's over it's just a different energy about it but you, you mentioned something that's really interesting when it comes to the women's game you guys get recruited at a much younger age so what advice would you have for a young lady that's, you know, thinking of their future, you know, a high school uh, elite prospect that has to make a decision by freshman, sophomore year in most cases? Um, a few things. One, like, make sure that your grades are on point. I would have gone into UCLA on grades alone. So make sure that your grades are on point because that could make or break going to like a very elite university like Stanford or UCLA or Cal. Um, and then two, just do your research. I think I honestly could have done a better job 
of researching schools, but I also had the mindset where like, this is where I want to go, but there's going to be a good fit for everybody. And I think just doing your research, not just on the soccer program, but on majors, on academic resources, um, and on campus activities, like where you'll be living, what's around in the area. And one thing that I've kind of determined that I should have done more as a as a high schooler was researching like what research what resources I had as a black student at UCLA because I don't think I nearly used enough while I was there and I didn't get nearly as involved as I would have liked to so I think making sure that I mean now a lot of athletic departments are providing a lot more support for black student athletes but I feel like uh that's something that like a young person who's I mean, in any sport who's trying to, you know, get to college is just making sure that you have the resources that you need while you're going to be moving away from home at the first for the first time. No, that, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. And for anyone listening, you know, these young athletes, you know, do your research. You know, your parents can only do so much, but you're the one that's going to be going to school. So take an active, uh, oh, sorry, a proactive approach to you know, what you need to do. So I appreciate you sharing that because that's, that's very sound advice. Yeah. Just, you know, do your research and everything. <laughs> so I don't want to, I want to switch gears a little bit. So, you know, you mentioned your, your upbringing, your, you mentioned, you know, you wanted to be more active at UCLA, um, but you're very outspoken about equality and social justice at what, like, when was that shift for you? Like, did something personally happen or were you just like, you know, kind of built up over the years, you know, from your own experiences? Um, I think in high school, it kind of shifted for me. I mean, anybody who knows me personally will know that I've always been very outspoken about everything. And sometimes that came off as being bossy when I was a kid, or I don't even know. But in high school, I was always very outspoken. And I think my junior year was kind, was kind of when I was like, fed up with it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that was around the time of Ferguson, I'm pretty sure, and either my sophomore or junior year of high school. And I just had all this pent up emotion, I think, surrounding the protests that were happening and all the shootings that were happening. Um, and I didn't feel like people around me really cared because, I mean, where I was from, they, they really didn't. And I think I stopped standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance and saying it when I was a junior in high school and that made a lot of people mad. And so mm -hmm. I kind of was put in this position where I needed to defend myself, not like physically or anything, but just from, you know, people giving me, can I curse on here? People just giving me shit um, <laughs> about what I was doing. Like I got told to go back to Africa from this kid who was my friend all throughout middle school and high school. So it was just, I was receiving backlash that I hadn't expected. And so I think a part of me like kind of had to rise to the challenge of like standing up for what I believed in because I was going to do it regardless. Um, but I think it prepared me in a way emotionally that I hadn't really experienced before. And I mean, seeing the reaction that people had to what I was doing uh, in high school was, I think what kind of, fueled me even more for because I was like oh so like there is a reason because I I being lighter skinned um I haven't experienced as nearly as much as like my family has or my dad or 
um, some of my best friends are darker than I am. And so I had only sort of heard about, you know, very overt racism up to this point. Like I had never been called the N word to my face or anything. Um, I hadn't had a bad experience with myself, with the police at this point. Um, but then my senior year, when, when Trump was started or he announced his candidacy or whatever, like that's when it kind of just ramped up because being in conservative Orange County, like everybody was like, I had people who would literally come to school dressed in all American flag gear, like would put Trump flags on their trucks, American flags on their trucks. And like, would make it a point to just harass me because I was just like, I was just talking my shit. Like I was just saying what I believed in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think at that point was kind of what I'll call my radicalization. Um, Even though (laughs) looking back, I don't think that was it necessarily, but that's when I really was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. Um, And then it got better as I went to UCLA, obviously, because I wasn't surrounded by as many bigoted people um but by the time that I started kneeling my sophomore year of college I was just really fed up again and I think there had been some um like uh lashing out at Colin Kaepernick for kneeling again or something like I was just I was so fed up and I was like I need to kneel like I need to do this um and then it all kind of took off from there but yeah I I think that definitely high school was kind of the turning point for me in terms of activism. Um, That was kind of my origin story, I guess you could say. Uh, And I think I'm a lot better for it. So. No, I'm out of respect because that takes a lot of courage at that age. You know, even, you know, adults, professional athletes are, um, are worrisome when it comes to standing up for what they believe in because of how people will react. So for you to do that at the high school level, um, receiving that backlash, uh, who were some people that, you know, because for you to handle this on your own is is, is really tough. So how, how were you able to deal with it? Like were your parents, you know, helpful, you know, with words of encouragement, um, any, any, you know, older siblings, any mentors, like who, who helped, like, I don't want to say held your hand through this process, but who was there for you on your side, you know? Um, I mean, I'd say my support in high school, was definitely my my not even my whole friend group I had I have two very close friends who I was very close with throughout high school that we kind of did everything together and so I think those were the people on the day-to-day that really helped me I mean in high school you don't want to tell your parents everything so I (laughs) I feel like they were my major support system then but as when I got to college um the first person I told about wanting to kneel was my mom and then my dad um, and then I talked to my coach, my coaches who were amazing and supported me through every step of the way. And my teammates were really awesome too. So I think I just had like a very supportive network mm-hmm. of people who I knew had my back. And I, I said it too, like when I first talked to my mom, I was like, as long as my family is behind me, as long as my friends, like my close friends are behind me and my team is behind me, like I really don't need anybody else's approval for what I'm going to do. Um, and I got it. I, I got that approval. Not that I needed it, but I knew that that was what was going to help me. Yeah. Would I face any backlash? Um, 
So I think I just have a really awesome support system and <laughs> they definitely have, I guess, held my hand throughout it because there has been some times where I've, I've doubted myself and what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And, you know, this sort of work gets a little bit discouraging sometimes, but um, I, I always have them to fall back on. So, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's great. And it's, it's really important for when, when people step out that others are there to support them because it's it's a lonely road that people don't really look see so i'll love your opinion on you know what athletes can do when it comes to social injustice and whether you think they should speak out or you know what what are your viewpoints on that i i'm probably on like a far end of the spectrum but i 100 percent believe that athletes and honestly anybody that's in a position of like social influence like mm-hmm you 100% have the moral, ethical responsibility to, you know, I think, take a stand on certain issues. Like, just being quiet and just sticking to your sport, I think, is ignorant. And I think it negates the work of all the athletes that have come before us who have fought for the same issues. Um, I think that if you're being elevated and put into a position where you have influence of people you you need to do that influencing in a very positive way Mm -hmm. um and i think that athletes need to be held responsible for the views that they hold um so if they're you know hateful or whatever i think that we need to hold them responsible and i think a lot of times we don't as a society or as fans um so i don't know i've I've definitely come to this view after I I started kneeling and being one of the people, being one of the first people, I think, to actually do it, um, you know, and seeing how few people stood behind me and actually chose to kneel uh, really kind of fueled my view on this. Like we have the responsibility to take a stand on important issues because I think sports are inherently political. They are so entwined with political systems in the United States, um, from like ownership groups to, you know, being broadcast on networks that have certain sponsors or like sponsorships. Um, What we're seeing right now with certain clubs, like I think that we absolutely have a responsibility to, you know, uphold the greater good as athletes. No, respect. And you definitely, I think Elle's going to definitely plug our last episode in there because uh, when, you, just thinking it. Yeah, when you speak about the intersection of soccer and politics and the money behind it, it's way deeper than we think. But I love what you said about athletes. And I think uh, it reminds me of a quote when Charles Barkley said, you know, we're not role models. And, you know, that's that's actually false. We're role, yeah. we're role models, whether we like it or not. So how we represent ourselves, our families, our communities. And even our teams is reflective of, you know, who supports us and who looks up to us. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah, that quote infuriates me because, like you said, like whether we like it or not, people are going to look up to you. So, I mean, what you choose to do with that influence, uh, I think, really reflects on you as a person. So, I mean, if you want to be remembered as a not so great person, then by all means, but not how I live my life. So talk about your, uh, your, your, your relationship with athlete ally. 
yeah, so I'm an ambassador for them. Uh, I think I was approached by them earlier this year uh, to do work with them. And it has been awesome. They're an awesome organization. And I really encourage everybody to get involved with them. Um, but I think that's another area that I'm very passionate about being truly like an ally to the LGBTQIA plus community myself. Um, I think that we have a duty as allies or advocates to speak up in spaces where people might not feel comfortable doing it themselves. And so I think it is an organization that has allowed me to do that in the LGBTQIA plus space. Um, Cause obviously I'm, I'm clearly about like black issues, but I think you might mention intersectionality earlier. And I think that, you know, we're, we're not going to be free until every one of us is free. And so I think that's another area that I've, over the years gotten extremely passionate about as well. Oh, that's amazing. I feel I I I know good things are in store for you. Um I feel like if you had a you you're gonna do great things in the like nonprofit foundation. So if you were to start a nonprofit, this is just me thinking Oof. uh what would like what would it be about? What's the name? What like what's the what's the overall mission? You know, I think there are organizations that do focus on probably what I would. I think my experience as of right now, not having like <laughs> a real job yet, I guess, a real job. And no, uh, talk a real job. Don't let it don't let it, don't let people play you. Not in like a corporate <laughs> space. Um, yeah. it would probably be something with the intersection of like race and sports and maybe LGBT <clears throat> plus inclusion. Um, you know, I've thought about it. I think one day it'd be really cool to have a nonprofit, but I think very, very early, early, early formulations in my head, it would be something about the intersection of those three things. And like I said, there's already organizations doing that, but um, I think those are causes that are all very dear to my heart. So I think anything that I could do to help those spaces, um, especially for, for youth, because I am still pretty young, um, you know, that would be really cool. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited. Let us know when you make it live. We definitely two cents sports, two cents FC. Definitely gonna support that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta get my education up so I can just do whatever I want. I can run the world. <laughs> no, so let's let's shift gears. All right, soccer defender. You know, elite level since youth. Played at UCLA. Probably the best women's program um, outside of Stanford, outside of UNC. Um, still, I'm still putting UCLA top one out of those three. Um, now you are playing professionally. You started in the NWSL and then you decided to go to Europe. Talk about that transition of why you made that move. Um, yeah, I made that move because, you know, this year has been pretty unprecedented. And honestly, I just wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And, you know, I'm playing a sport where playing time is kind of the currency. And I wanted to, I hadn't played a game since like November of the previous year. So I kind of was just like, I need playing time. Um, and I think when I was playing where I was playing, a lot of my confidence got knocked um, just because the situation that I was in. And yeah, I just needed to, you know, figure out if, I could still play almost. I, I 
It sounds sad, but like I think a lot of my love for the game was um, taken away from me in my previous situation. So I just wanted to put myself in the best position to, you know, like refine my love for the game and get playing time and, you know, just get my confidence back. No, that's I'm I'm so glad you share that because a lot of people see professional athletes and it's like, you're getting paid to play soccer. Why are you complaining? But they don't see the ins and outs, you know, dealing with injuries, dealing with unfortunate situations, dealing with, you know, highs and lows. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's really important for the young players. Not every team is a good team for you, you know, yeah. whether it's playing time, whether it's a coach, whether it's your teammates, you're not meshing well with them. So you have to find the best situation for you, whether it's um, less money or more money, less money, whatever you're playing out of position, but you love it. You're playing in your favorite position, but you hate it. These are all factors you got to consider. So I appreciate you sharing that. It, 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 it's really important that people know that. Yeah, I've, I've honestly tried to be very transparent throughout my whole professional journey. And I think maybe sometimes I, I overshare on Twitter, but that's just kind of how I am as a person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has been something that I've been doing for my entire, almost all my life, um, like 17 years or something crazy. And so it's not always peaches and rainbows. And I totally relate when you're like, when you just said that, like, people are like, you're getting paid to play soccer. Like, what are you complaining about? Like, there is definitely, you know, mm -hmm. Once, once soccer became more of a, a job for me, um, it, I mean, I think that kind of happened once I went to college, like it loses some of the, the fun, I guess, because, yeah. you know, that's what you, you do to get your paycheck. That's what you do yeah. to get your degree, your education. So it becomes more of a job and not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just, it's, it's a different dynamic because I used to play soccer for you know, just because it was a fun game. Yeah. And once it becomes your job, it's not really a game anymore. Um, so it's, it's, it's just been me kind of adapting to that and trying to figure out my place within the sport and, you know, what, what and where I want to go with it, like what I want to do with it and where I want to go with it. So. No, that's big time. And like you said, <laughs> it's like that passion for the sport immediately shifts once you start getting paid to play or once there's incentive behind, you know, you playing. So uh, for anyone that's, you know, listening to this podcast or show rather, um, you, 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 you bring up a great point that it doesn't really get talked about a lot. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wish I had more people like myself to, you know, talk about things more genuinely. Uh, so I think that that's kind of what, a lot of the time guides me in what I say and what I do yeah. is maybe I can look out for another little Kaya out yeah. there. <laughs> so what would you tell young Kaya now that you, you know, you're four or five years, you know, playing professionally. Uh, if you were starting all over, what would you tell young Kaya? Like, this is what you need to look out for. This is what you need to focus on as you become a professional. Well, yeah. I mean, are, do you mean like college? Like since I played like four years of college and then, this is my rookie season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, mean, okay. I count UCLA soccer as yeah. professional. Okay. You, guys, you guys are ballers, all y'all. So. Okay, I would consider it too, kind of, but <laughs> I was just making sure. Um, I actually wrote a letter to my younger self kind of at the start of all the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests. But, I mean, I would just 
tell her to, you know, stay strong to your convictions and, you know, not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say and you might, you know, get beat down for it a little bit, but don't ever let it break your spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, just stay on the path, stay on the course because it's going to, it's going to work itself out. Okay. I got a, a follow-up question. This is a scenario that uh, a friend of mine, Bobby Warshaw always brings up. Would you rather be the star player of an all right team? Okay. You maybe make the playoffs. You maybe don't, or would you rather be, you know, a utility player, you know, Say there's 30 games in a season, you might start 15 to 20. You don't know. You might play right back. You might play center back. You might play left back. But your team's consistently competing for championships. The second one, because I feel like that's what I was. Like, I think defenders don't get nearly enough credit. No. You just get blamed for everything, right? Oh, you get blamed for everything. Everything's your fault. And mm. then, you know, like <laughs> – you get none of the glory because you're not scoring the goals. Like I could save literally four games, four goals in a game. And like, not once was I ever, you know, picked for a post game interview. So, <laughs> I mean, I think not that I don't, I didn't love my experience at UCLA cause I did, but I, I do think like defenders a lot of times don't get enough credit um, for the work that they do. And it was a different transition for me because I used to be a forward um as a as a kid and I transitioned to defender when I was like 14 because I was fast um and it stuck and I ended up being great at it but you know bye-bye went the glory yeah so I'd say the second one because playing for a really awesome team and being able to compete for championships is the thrill of a lifetime so no that's a great point I definitely want to bring something up but just a funny story about defenders so when I played center center mid and then I transitioned to center back, everyone was like, oh, are you going to play center mid again? Why do you – and I was like, center back's not a problem. It's just that you can play perfect for 89 minutes. And yeah. the one minute you give up a goal, they're like, oh, he had a horrible game. I'm like, yeah. wait, what? Watch the game. Um, but I know L is uh, thinking about this too because you talked about switching from forward to defender. And we had uh, Jamia on an earlier episode, you know, talking about why – um african-american yeah and sam yeah why african-american players are the ones that switch from offensive positions to defense i saw that little clip and i was like they're making some points because i never thought about it like that so when you switched to the defender was it your choice or no No. how did that how did that come about so I was playing in um, this like really elite Nike tournament when I was like 14, maybe. And I was a forward. I had always been a forward. I had never been a defender. I was always a striker. I was always a nine. I was fast. I was quick. Anyways. And so we're playing this tournament and we end up going down within like a minute of playing this game and like we can't lose this game because otherwise we'll be out of the tournament immediately and my coach is actually Madison Haley (laughs) who scored on us um and so my coach was like pulled me aside I was like Kai like go back to center back and I literally looked at him probably like what the fuck are you talking about like I have (laughs) never played center back in my life and he was like just mark her like just don't let her score that's literally all he told me and I was like well, okay. And we ended up coming back and winning the game. Um, so I, I did a good job. We didn't get scored on again. Yeah. And so 
the rest of the tournament I ended up playing defender I had no idea what I was doing I was like ask I literally remember asking our tech our our like club director because he had come on the trip with us um and he was my coach's dad I think and I was like what do I do like what do I do in this situation because I'm a very like inquisitive player like I just want to know what to do and he was like whatever you're doing right now or whatever you've been doing keep doing it and I was like okay I didn't really know that means so yeah I got I got switched against my will kind of um for the good of the team and I ended up never being switched back so when because I know ladies get recruited younger um, were you getting recruited as a striker and then they saw you switch or were you like once you switched you, you were getting recruited already I I think honestly I I think I was recruited as a center back because okay. it was like with I think the year before I started getting recruited I that's when you made the switch yeah okay. so I was a really new center back getting recruited which makes wow. it kind of even cooler um yeah. I guess but yeah no I I switched not because I wanted to decide I wanted to be a defender. It was just because we had a player that needed to be stopped and I was the only one fast enough to do it. That's interesting. But you do have striker tendency, so I'm sure that helps you as you, oh, yeah. uh, you try to you know lock down, lock down strikers. I always made this joke at uh, UCLA. Whenever we would do like small-sided stuff, and I just kind of – when I would just be in the mood or like we would do flying changes or anything, I would always like – you know, I'd go like this and I'd be like power forward mode, like activated. And I would just think I'm like a striker scoring machine because uh-huh. I think the nine and center back are so interchangeable. Uh-huh. And I don't think center backs get enough credit. So, no, yeah, respect. That's respect. Yeah, center backs do not get enough credit. That's, I would definitely, you know, L, we might have to do like a little two cent sports doc with Homegirl about that dynamic, you know, young yeah. ladies, young African American ladies switching from, Offensive positions where they are excelling. I mean, we're, to, we're definitely uh, building a case here, bro. Yeah, you definitely. are. I mean, and, is- <laughs> and we've had a lot of defenders on the show. Ironically, it's. I think they switch us because we're just more athletic in a lot of cases, and then they kind of totally negate like technical ability. Because I was a very technical, good forward, um, and I guess that makes me a great center back because I'm very technical too. But that's true. I'm not sure if you're into conspiracies, but we had Sam on the podcast and she said her words, not mine. She said it may be because forwards get all the spotlight and you don't have to agree or disagree. I'm just throwing that. I mean, like, who do you want being the face of your club? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> that doesn't surprise. That's a, it's a very valid, Once valid again. opinion. Sam said it, not me. I'm just repurposing the words. <laughs> that also draws another interesting parallel, too, because um, just some of the points that you were mentioning, like if I if I compare that to American football, like a lot of times you may see a black quarterback, he may get, they may tell him, oh, you need to switch to wide receiver or you need to switch to safety or something to get, you know, get to that next level. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned, like you started getting recruited when you got moved to center back. So, like it's it's almost like oh maybe they're not not intelligent enough or they're not like you mentioned technical enough to play this position yeah um, you need to move to another position so I see it's a lot of a lot of parallels with that. Hey, <laughs> we might have just done something. I don't know. Oh, Makes trust. sense to me. Trust. We definitely coming up with a case study on that. Don't worry. 
for sure. I look forward to reading it. So, how's your experience in Europe been? You know, you mentioned leaving NWSL, you know, for more opportunities to play. Um, how, how was that? <laughs> um, I personally didn't have a great experience um, for reasons I will not go super into. Um, but, you know, I kind of needed to get out of that environment. And also, like, with Corona, it kind of – everything got shut down. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, countries got put into lockdown. So I wasn't even really – since I was playing in the second league, um, like, I wasn't even really able to play games after – like, I think they went into a shutdown in November, and it's, like, still going on. So oh, there was a period of time when I couldn't even practice just because of, like, the the – the country's like COVID regulations. So it was just, you know, it just didn't work out. Um, but I, I'm better for it. And yeah. now it's just moving on to what's next. Nah, respect. That's the life of a soccer player. And I know a lot of NWSL players have been moving overseas to play. What would you say outside of coronavirus, you know, no one could have predicted that. What would you say is the biggest adjustment, you know, for any young athlete, um, young soccer player, male or female, um, that they need to, you know, look into before going overseas? I think it was, like, the thing was, is, like, when I was considering going to Germany, I was like, oh, like, a lot of them will speak English and, like, teach English as, like, in elementary school for them. And I was like, oh, like, it won't be an issue. But I think it was just a big culture shock for me. Like, depending on where you're going, especially if it's not, like, an English-speaking country, like, just be prepared for, you know, them culturally to be different and I mean I thankfully had an American roommate but like I probably wouldn't have been speaking English to anybody if I didn't have her because because <laughs> yeah. I just didn't like speaking English so yeah. um probably just like maybe do some research again research, research. um where you're going and figure out some you know resources for you there um don't get stranded without help in a country that you don't really speak the language of. <laughs> so. No, facts. So where is Würzburg uh, in relation to like some of the larger cities that it's we in, know of? It's in Bavaria, which is like, I think maybe the biggest state in Germany. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but it's, it's near Frankfurt. It's like an hour outside Frankfurt. So uh, it was like kind of in the middle of Germany, almost I don't honestly I don't really know. I didn't I literally didn't even get to travel anywhere in Germany because of COVID. So it was mm. I didn't I didn't experience all that much. But it was it was a beautiful little old city. Um yeah. the town was really cute. They had like a castle which was really cool that you could like walk up and walk through. Um so that was really cool. And you could definitely tell that it was like it was weird being in another country that like is so old because you know America <laughs> yeah. like I mean America has been around forever um shout out native americans but you know hasn't had like the same i don't know colonial history as some of these other places like castles like we don't really have castles in america so that was kind of cool to see how'd you like the german like breakfast because i've been there a couple times i honestly didn't eat too much german food but i did eat a lot of turkish food which was delicious yeah they do delicious Yeah, yeah, it was, I, I, it was, it was good food, I guess. Um, I had a good burger place. Their McDonald's was really awesome. Way it's better way in America. Than, yeah. Uh, it what are some so of those differences? Good. It's like the food. No, I ain't nowhere. 
yeah the <laughs> the quality is just better yeah um they have a lot more options like they have like a mcchili right. burger or something <laughs> like their mcchicken was like amazing um i don't know it just tasted better i don't i don't know what we're doing in mcdonald's here but right. High, higher food standards i guess then. yeah, yeah that's the best way to put it yeah higher food standards it's like they go to mcdonald's is like like how we go to like a habit burger or shake shack yeah it's like a it's a higher end yeah 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 and but the the one bad thing was that they didn't have ranch like germany didn't have ranch and i love ranch so (laughs) that was a little difficult but i uh your mom ships them out to you it was expensive it was really expensive to get things (laughs) shipped facts those facts yeah like she shipped me my ballot so i could vote um because it like didn't come early enough before when i left and so she shipped it to me literally just like all my ballot packet and it costs like 70 dollars or something yeah so but i did vote so that's awesome shout out no no excuses no excuses (laughs) (laughs) uh so let's shift gears a little bit um book book club you started your own book club Five books that you've read this year. Or I'm not sure how many books you've read this year, but five books you'd recommend that me or Elle should read. Oh, well, this one for sure. I don't know oh, if you've okay. read it. The New Jim Crow. Amazing oh, book. Have, okay. I did some stalking on your Instagram. I saw you post that. Yeah. I, amazing. Have, that, I have not read it. So please, Oh, my it. gosh. Like, <laughs> please read it. I recommend I, it to everybody. Can I wait for it to come into like a docuseries or I really got to read it? No, you really got to read it because there's okay. so much information in it that like I, they couldn't put it in a docuseries, I don't think. Okay. Um, the other book that we read for a book club was Just Mercy, which is still a lot of information, but it's more in, you know, like a story kind of format. So okay. it's a little bit more consumable, I think. Also amazing. Um, I read... Gosh, I've read a lot of books this year. I just can't. I've read Becoming, um, Michelle Obama's memoir, which is really good. Um, Really gave insight to, you know, the Obama presidency. And it was really cool to see her growing up as like a black woman from the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Um, I read, have you guys heard of Feminista Jones? Uh, I've heard of her, but I don't like know too much. Yeah. I read one of her books that was on um, black feminism, which was really good. I forget the name of it right now. Um, but yeah, I've, I've just been doing, usually when I read, I read for like pleasure. Okay. I would say like more of like a Harry Potter nerd kind of person. But this year, I think I've been, you know, along with a lot of other people, just educating myself on a lot of things. Um, so Definitely books relating to activism, I would recommend, especially the new Jim Crow. If you don't read any other book, please read that one. Okay. And how'd the book club come about? You just, you started it on a whim or you've always been into reading? I've loved reading my whole life, but I think with this year, I was, you know, everybody was like, oh, like I'm reading this book, I'm reading this book. And I kind of was just like, well, I'm reading books, but I also want people to talk about it with. Yeah. So it almost arose kind of selfishly because I was like, well, these are really important topics that need to be discussed. And like, I would like people to discuss them with. And 
I don't know how many of my like immediate circle are also reading these books and have the time to like sit down with me and talk about them. So I figured I could just, you know, get a group of people that we can just read books together and talk about it. And it's been really awesome so far. And there's been a great participation. And I feel like I learned so much every single session. So it's been good. I, I really, I really like it. No, that's what it's all about. You know, super dope. Yeah. Gotta consume, gotta consume. You know, books is where we can get information. Um, you know, earlier I talked about you're going to start a foundation, but you actually mentioned on Twitter that you're floating the idea of a podcast. So what is the podcast going to be about when you start it? And are you going to have me and Elle on as guests? Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> I, I am floating the idea because the thing is, is like sometimes I start things and I'm not able to like, I, I feel like I have so many ideas sometimes. I'm a Gemini. I have so many ideas sometimes and then I like will start something and I can't finish it. <laughs> like when I did like a YouTube channel kind of like I made one video and then it, I was like, oh, this is kind of like too much work. So I've, <laughs> I'm floating the idea okay. of a podcast. because I think it might be easier than like actually having to like film myself um, and all the time. And all that. Yeah. I feel yeah. Like so I don't know, but I feel like I, like I said, I've always been pretty outspoken. I feel like I have a lot to say about a lot of things. So I don't really know like the direction it would go, but that's why I was kind of trying to put out feelers for like what people would even like want to consume. Um, Cause otherwise it would just turn into me talking about whatever I want to talk about. Hey, you talk about whatever you want to talk about. There's a niche for that. People will get behind it. And yeah. if, you need it, if you need a team to support it, two cent sports, we right here with you. So that's see and then I'm like oh people would support me in it so like I definitely should but I don't want to like you know bore people to death <laughs> oh, yeah. now like we actually just started this podcast 20 26 yeah. episodes ago and it was I don't want to say it was on a win. yeah but we were we've been talking about different things that we can possibly do and then you know L was like all right let's let's get it done and you know we yeah. made a commitment and 26 episodes later we got you on the podcast, and you're gonna start one soon. Full circle. Yeah, so we'll see. We need yeah. to, we need to expand two cent sports anyway. So, um, yeah, you know, if you have some ideas, we can brainstorm. I I can talk forever. It's a <laughs> gift I inherited from my grandmother, so <laughs> I think it would be a good idea. I got an idea for you. Radical. Okay. Okay, we're gonna don't want people to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> so day in the life for you. Um weekend off, no game, no training. What's that look like for you? I'm I'm I am an incredible binge watcher. I don't know what it is, uh -oh. something that just allows me to just, you know, sit down. I need to add to my rotation. What shows you what shows I you oh right my now? gosh. I have a list of things that I've watched in quarantine and I haven't even updated it for a while. Wow. Um, so I'll read you some of this. Let me just find it. And literally I had to like write it all down because I was like, this is getting a little bit too ridiculous um but yeah right now i'm kind of going back to my uh my comfort show which is criminal minds i always watch yeah. that when i just need to like decompress Crim Crim criminal minds over law and order i like svu i've i've okay. watched svu through twice this is like my third or fourth time watching criminal minds 
Oh, so you're like a binge binge watcher. Yeah, I. Oh. It's like kind of absurd. I've. I don't know what's wrong with me. To be fair. Um. Okay. Hold on. I need to like. Focus on this in a second. Hopefully, I can find it. Books to read. I have plenty of books to read that I have listed. Um, uh, you don't have to put these in the show notes. I know. Uh, I can't find. It. I'll, maybe I'll send it to you. I'll send you the list after. Because um, I literally you checked out any of those shows I recommended. Uh, sorry, what? So have you checked out any of the shows I recommended? No, I, think I, I said not. trinkets and um, Grand Army on Netflix. I will oh. I will add those because I, I am looking for new shows. Um, I just kind of have done Criminal Minds because, oops, because it was easy. Um, and it's right on my my page on Netflix. So, but yeah, no, I please send them again because I'm very forgetful. Yeah, um, I shoot them. But yeah, no, I'm I, usually it'll involve me binge watching. Um, I really want to get backed into like. I really want to like create my own like home gym so I can get back into lifting because I really enjoy lifting, but this year has just been so yeah. hard for like gyms and stuff. Um, a lot of body weight type workouts, huh? Yeah. So yeah. been doing that. Um, I don't know. I really enjoy doing makeup, uh, reading. You'll find me with a book, like just going to a park and just reading. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty boring during Corona times. I'm like one of those people that is just perfectly content to kind of just sit at home and I can entertain myself for hours. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's been helpful this year. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely the same way. Super homebody. Like, hook my house up the way I need it and I don't gotta leave, you know? Exactly. That's how it gotta be, though, you know? Your home is your sanctuary, you know? So. Yeah, and the thing is, is, like, I I would consider myself, like, an extrovert, for sure. Like, I love going out with my friends. I love, you know, going to Vegas and, you know, LA was a super cool area to just, like, be in college, but I also have discovered this year that I'm very much a homebody. Like, I don't mind just sitting at home. So, it is what it is. Yeah, always good to mix it up. All right, what you got, L? You got the two truths and a cap? Yeah, so let's get into two truths and a cap. Um, I think I prepped you on this a little bit. Oh, um, yeah, I wrote them down. Uh-oh. Yeah, okay. so you get to tell us three facts about yourself. Two of them will be true, one will be a lie, and Amobi and I had to guess what the lie is or what the cap is. Okay. Speaking of caps. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Yeah, well, I guess ahead. I kind of gave this one away. Um, before I became a defender, I was a forward. Oh, oh, you know, you can switch it up if you want. You can add it. You can add it before. I don't know what I could come up with on the fly, though. Hold on. No, it's fine. I wore cat whiskers on national television during a game, and I visited three countries outside the U.S. for soccer. Oh, okay. Cat whiskers during a game. What game could that have been? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, visited three countries as a cap. For real? I'll answer. Oh, I still have it. I still have to answer. Um, nah, because you played for Irvine Strikers and and served growing up by big clubs. Uh, cat whiskers during a game. 
that's too outlandish not to be a lie. Uh, yeah, I guess I got to go with three countries. Yeah, I've been to three countries. Yep, you guys got it. I think I've been to five, so not three. Um, I wore cat whiskers on okay. Halloween my senior year at UCLA. Uh, I really love Halloween, and it was absurd to me that I had to play on Halloween and I didn't get dressed <laughs> up. So I put on cat whiskers and played the whole game like that. And the girl called me like one of the girls I was marking called me like a freak or something. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. That's crazy. Hey, you kind of uh, kind of threw a little curveball there. Like, yeah. I've not three, I've been to five. five. So. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we got it right, but we got it wrong at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I tried to make it, like, you know, a little sneaky. But, I mean, I originally made the lie that I was a goalie before I was a defender. Um, but I changed it. So, you win. Okay. Sorry. That's oh, all good. All right. Let's go and jump into these topics, though. Um, so, as you all may know, uh, the Utah the Utah Royals are relocating to Kansas City. Um, the previous owner was wild problematic and essentially was forced to sell his teams, both his MLS and NWSO teams and USO team. Um, so the Royals, uh, they're looking like the first property that's getting picked up from his portfolio, and it happens to be they happen to be headed to Kansas City, which is the home of one of the OG NWSL franchises. Um, Pat Mahomes' fiance, Brittany Matthews, is also reported to have made an investment in the new ownership group. Um, Sporting KC is interested in sharing their their stadium with them, but that's a, that's a whole other issue. Um, but I just want to get you guys overall thoughts on like you know, do you think this is a good move for the league to you know have another team in KC? Um, how do you feel about you know the team having to move versus you know somebody buying them and they stay them staying in Utah? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it absolutely was the right decision for Deloitte Hansen to sell. um, Because obviously, I think that we can't really put up with racism in sport, especially at this moment in time. So I think that was the right move. But I guess it's just really unfortunate knowing that so many people's lives are being uprooted. Like, I know what that's like to kind of have to pick up everything and move for soccer. So it sucks for them. And I'm sad that there wasn't an ownership group that came forward to you know purchase them as the Utah Royals um but I think it's I think it's good that they're still trying to you know maintain a team and they're not just like getting rid of it completely because I think that the league needs to expand um there's definitely a market for it with women's soccer in the country especially after seeing how successful the challenge cup was um, so I, it's unfortunate that it's happening, but I also think that it's better than the team just folding completely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, um, it's, it's better that, that, you know, a team is still around. Um, Kansas city has a good history when it comes to NWSL and players that have played in that uh, community. Obviously it's unfortunate because, um, what the Royals were doing. They had a lot of infrastructure that was right, but um, obviously the owner was wilding. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's wilding. And some of the stories that didn't get out and that have been like amongst like group chats that I've heard, it makes it even more wild. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah, that's a story for another day. But um, yeah, it, it's good to see soccer not suffer. Um, obviously 
sorry for the Salt Lake community. Um, they're not going to have a team at the moment. But um, for Kansas City, um, I'm not sure why Sporting Kansas City doesn't want to share their their or use let them use their facilities. That's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 all for it. So hypothetically, if if you guys were leaving the ownership group and had to relocate, where would you relocate the team to? I mean, I like California, but we already have Angel City, so (laughs) Um, I don't know. I feel like Kansas City has a history, like you said, so. Yeah, my my team's going to be Bay Area, Sacramento, or Denver, like (sighs) those three markets. I think Denver, they have a lot of women talent, you know, at the youth level. Obviously, Haran's from there. I think uh, Mal Pugh's from there. Um, a whole bunch of players from those. Sophia players. Smith. Yeah. A whole Jalen bunch Howell. Of oh, keep naming them because I don't know. No, I, yeah, I, there's there's a uh, ton of Colorado talent. Yeah. yeah. So just like strategically, um, I think you can do a lot of great things in that community and then the Bay Area because you need a team to rival Angel City. They can't just be the only Cali team getting all the love. Yeah. Sacramento is coming in, though. Yeah, we'll see. They they talk a lot, but we'll we'll see. We'll see if they get the team out here. I'm trying to think too. I don't know. I'm just so biased to Southern California and California in general because I've I mean, until this year that was the only place that I've ever lived. So, I mean, I don't really know too much about other places, but I'm trying to think like where would I want to play soccer? Like I almost said um like Arizona, but it's so hot. I don't know. A Vegas team could be kind of cool, I think. Oh. Word on the street, a Vegas team is coming. Oh, good I, didn't I didn't know that, but like they just moved the Raiders there. I feel yeah. like Vegas has a really good sports community. And I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Vegas to watch <laughs> soccer? To um, watch soccer, yep. <laughs> my dad would be there all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I feel like the history with Kansas City is there like the infrastructure is there so i feel like it was probably a safe move for the time being um but hopefully they expand to a lot more markets because women's soccer is so big in america i think and i mean we saw how much of an impact like with viewership the challenge cup had this year like there's definitely a market for it so hopefully they just keep expanding thanks yeah i'm hoping uh atlanta Ooh. Starts one. I'm I'm from Cali, but I live in the Atlanta area. Um, so hoping we can get one out here. Also, I think it would be dope for the leagues to actually, you know, work in tandem a little bit better. Um yeah. so that you're not because I know we have this whole franchise model thing and like that comes with like naming rights and all this other stuff. But it would be dope to just have like a you know, women's version of LAFC or women's version of LA Galaxy and like all the the brands are are unified, and you have the men men's yeah. and women's version of each team, like how they do in Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a whole other podcast, like <laughs> you know, talking about why men's sports don't want to invest in women's sports. I think it's rooted in patriarchy, but um, yeah, that would make too much sense. That would make way too much sense to do. Shout out, shout out to Portland though, and for Mayor Paulson for what he's doing with t- Timbers and Thorns. Like they got a good thing going. Um, I feel like more teams, like you said, should follow that model. Obviously, Houston's doing it to a certain extent as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but like you said, there should be more. It's like it just makes sense. Like every MLS team should have a women's team. It or, just makes or, sense. Or a women's affiliate. I mean, that makes so much sense. So of course it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. So the common common sense ain't so common. Isn't that how the quote goes or something? I I don't know. I that's no. just kind of like a motto I've had. I had that motto in college because a lot of times like <laughs> things would happen and people would be like, why Why is that not happening? Or like, why aren't we doing it this way? And I was always just like, because that makes way too much sense. That's just <laughs> not how things work. <laughs> and actually, while we're on the subject, it's a good segue um, into our next topic. So while we're talking about NWSL, the league viewing is actually up 493% in 2020 so thanks to their cbf partnership um the nwsl recorded its seventh seven most watched games ever including a record 653,000 viewers for the challenge cup final um so in addition to this um in addition to the viewership spike uh they've also enjoyed 152 percent increase in social media uh, mentions social mentions year over year um, that's like a 55 percent bump in traditional media um so this TV deal has been huge for the league's growth, um, but I want to get you guys' thoughts on, you know, how everything is kind of like progressing for the league. You know, like coming from like a player standpoint, the fans are so awesome. Like the NWSL fans are like, honestly, probably some of the best sports fans in the world and and so supportive. And like, those are the fans that'll go out and buy things from companies that sponsor the clubs you know or the league like I don't know how many people would go out and buy Budweiser willingly besides like NWL fans so um I think it's awesome and it's just a testament to like I think again how powerful women's soccer is in America specifically I mean it's one of the biggest I think youth sports for girls, I don't know the statistics behind that, but like I know almost everybody I know like played soccer growing up at one point. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's awesome. And it's such a testament to like the league and how they, you know, they did the bubble first and get hardly any credit for it. Um, it's always the NBA bubble that's being, you know, glossed over. Um, but I think it's just awesome and it's just testament to like how strong and resilient women's soccer and women are in general within the sports world um, to be doing that like all during coronavirus. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see. I think the, the CBS deal definitely helped um, finally, you know, when you put your money where your mouth is, you know, you do get rewarded. So um, this is only exciting for more sponsors to look at it and be like, oh, wow, like, Maybe we were wrong, or actually we definitely were wrong about, you know, making these investments. And, you know, for the haters that are saying, oh, well, well now, because obviously it's going to spike because it's on TV. Yeah, well, exactly. Put it on TV. <laughs> so um, I think it's, it's, it's important to see because, like you said, when it comes to youth sports, everyone has played soccer, especially young ladies. They all play soccer, and um, it, it translates to competitive, it translates to, so if you can have it on TV and give people an option to see it as a viable pro path or career path, you're only going to get more people invested in the sport. And I know we talk about this all the time, El, when it comes to the the branding and like social media, mm-hmm. women soccer players are way better than the guys when it comes to like, they're just a, a way to con- um, 
interact with their with their fan base, with their community, with their with their Instagram followers. It's like a bunch of y'all have like 20,000, 30, 40, 100,000. Uh, obviously, maybe some of them are fake. I'm not going to be the one that's talking about bots and stuff. But for the most part, y'all have a lot of followers. And I think that can translate to getting more exposure for for the sport. Yep. And shout out to NWSL. I just found out that they actually subscribe to our channel. They subscribe oh, to the support. So shout out Damn, NWSL. Oh, let's, hey. let's link up. Let's NWSL, up. Let's, let's talk. Go. We could do a little NWSL pre uh preseason series if y'all if y'all sure. with this, if y'all with it. Let's link up. I, I know y'all are watching this, so yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, they even just I think there was like a poll that came out with like engagement and the NWSL and the WMBA had like some of the highest engagement on like social media platforms but i think again it's just like a testament to how powerful women's soccer is and the fan base like uh like you said women's soccer players are i think very good at engaging with fans but i also think it's because fans are so engage worthy like it's not <laughs> you know like it's not just yeah. them consuming the sport like they invest in the players and in their livelihoods and like oh the my Twitter followers like always make me feel so loved and I haven't met nearly any of them. So it's just, you know, and that just know. means you're going to have to have a Twitter link up post COVID. Yeah. Let I it, let know. Link up with you. <laughs> I'm going to throw a, a post COVID party. Twitter party. Do you, think the, do you think the success of the women's national team plays a role in that or any type of role in that? I think definitely, um, you know, I personally don't get super excited about watching our men's team. No offense. I guess now that they're like getting better, but like up to this point, not really. But you saying, you saying no offense, like I'm on the team or something. You're, you're, you're <laughs> no, just no offense to if any like men's national team players or anybody who like is a diehard men's national team fan if they're watching. But you know, but people get hyped for the women because they win. Like you want to to be a fan of teams that win like when your team doesn't win that sucks and it's hard to keep supporting them um but you know like this this year watching the world cup like i was hyped i was hyped every game i was watching every single game i've looked up to these women my whole life like and so seeing them win like the world cup again it's just uh their success is crazy and they don't get paid enough for it and they don't get enough credit for it and people always have something to say about it like usually men who can't even run a mile always have something to say about it um but yeah i definitely think that there's contributes to it because i think it puts women's soccer on the map because they are so successful and you know a lot of them play in the nwsl or did so i think that puts the nwsl on the map more too you mentioned World Cup. That's another another case study to add to our theory. With Crystal Dunn being moved to left back, left or right back, left back. Um, but she balled out though. Yeah, I mean, I, killed it. She gets she gets so snubbed all the time. She's like one of the best players in the world. She's so talented. And anyways, yeah, <laughs> just add it to the to the case study. My dad and I talk about her all the time, all the time. Oh, that's yeah. No, I, like you said, I think that could be a whole nother podcast. We're gonna make it into a like, case study series at some yeah. point. Just do like a mini pod, like a mini yeah. episode. 
Uh, and just once yeah. a week. A little, a little expose or something like that. <laughs> yeah, just get like the stats and stuff and really, you know, dig into it. But hopefully Portland, you know, uses her uses yeah. her correctly. I don't know. That's She's crazy. good anywhere. Yeah, I didn't know she got traded until recently. That's wild. Yeah. So historically, women have been at the forefront of many movements, like like you mentioned before, um, leading the charge with the the Challenge Cup, first ones back, very little to no COVID cases outside of the team that couldn't come. Um, like leading the charge from from an activism standpoint, so speaking up, being on the forefront. Um, to that to that uh, point, Megan Rapino also is one of those who's been very vocal, um, very outspoken, an activist and an ally, uh, if if you want to categorize her that way. Um, so her life is being adapted into a television series. So she wrote a memoir called One Life, um, and Sony, Pic Sony Pictures has picked it up and, and is adapting it into um, a scripted television series. Hasn't been written yet, but um, I guess it's in the works. Um, so the book will show, um, will kind of share her story from when she was her young, younger soccer career, growing up in her younger years in Reading, um, to her rise to stardom and, you know, leading her to be a name and influencer around the world. Um, and so her on-field performance and her activism has also afforded her a plethora of um, opportunities that, you know, some people would say um, have allowed her to overshadow others who may have been on the forefront um, and who may not have been able to have get those same opportunities um, if it weren't for, you know, maybe color of their skin or <laughs> however you want to put it. So, and Kai, I know you have some thoughts on this in general. Um, so, I kind of want to get your reaction to uh, to the television series, but also um, you mentioned something about the, about Brianna Stewart becoming, you know, being like a sports person of the year oh. for her allyship and not necessarily her activism. So, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is tough because I, I mean, I can't even remember how many times I've said this, like Megan Rampino is like one of my role models. Like I, I started kneeling after she did because I was like, oh, a woman soccer player who's kneeling, like, you know, I could do that too. Um, I think it's, I actually haven't read the memoir yet. I was asking for it for Christmas, so I'll get back to you on that side of it. But I think it's cool that she's getting a show. But I also do feel like there are, you know, other black athletes who are just now finding their voice um, who are also deserving of things like that. I, I don't know. It's just it's a very tricky thing, because like you said, like, I feel like maybe some of her allyship has put her in the position where, you know, she's getting opportunities that people who are like people of color might not get um which is a very fair assessment but then i also think to like my own experience with you know megan rapino and like she was part of the reason where i found my voice so i feel like i have kind of a biased opinion about her specifically but you know with brianna stewart like again i'm not gonna knock anybody for you know participating in the movement in a positive way but at the same time like I feel like that was just the most whitewashed thing I've ever seen this year like to glance over 
all of the black female athletes, black and non-binary athletes in the WNBA who were doing such like powerful work in terms of activism was just, was just blasphemous, honestly. Um, and I think that that kind of reiterated to me, like, no matter how much progress we think that we make, like, we still haven't gone that far because the same shit keeps happening. Um, and the same shit keeps getting overlooked. And I feel like there's only so many times that we can go back and be like, oh, like, sorry, we like overlooked this. Oh, sorry. Like it was an honest mistake. Like at some point we need to start holding, you know, organizations accountable for the stuff that they do and the erasure of black women, um, and black non-binary folks like it's it's an issue and I think that was like something for me that just made it so glaringly obvious and I feel like I'm starting to like feel like a broken record on Twitter or even just in my real life because you know I'm saying the same things and nothing's happening um so I think like anybody who considers themselves an ally especially like a white ally um you know needs to do better and you know I'm not saying she should have turned that down, but, you know, like, maybe she should have. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like if you're an ally, you should be advocating for the people that you are an ally for. And you should be stepping out of the way and giving them the space to speak. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of I have a lot of feelings on 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 this. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of some of them. No, that's that's uh, that's great insight. Um, yeah, I, I love you. Yeah, you mentioned the other WNBA players. You know, Maya Moore, who sat out, sat out, got you know, for activism. Out. Yeah, for activism, got uh, a gentleman exonerated. Um, you know, you had Renee Renee Montgomery, who also sat out. You know, for activism, doing amazing things. Um, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with you know Brianna Stewart winning as well. And then in conjunction with her allyship as why uh, she received the recognition and award. But like you said, uh, there's so many other candidates, not to say that she's not deserving, but there's so many other candidates that definitely should have been considered. And uh, hopefully they were at least considered and not just like, all right, we're going to have to meet this quota and we want to put this person in there. So, um, but with anything, when it comes to awards, someone's always going to be left out. But with everything that's gone on this year, there was a lot of oversight that happened when it came to uh, their decisions with with that. So, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And to, um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but there was a quote from I think the editor in chief or something like that from what, ESPN was it ESPN or Sports Illustrated? I think it was Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they mentioned her allyship as a reason why she was selected, but the group that she was selected into was, I guess, like a group of people who have been outspoken and who, who have kind of been activists um, in the sports world. So it's almost like like this slot could have been used, could have been better used for someone else who was actually more out. Because, you know, Naomi Osaka was in that group. Yeah, yeah she shot out a game. Yeah. Like- yeah. So it could it could have been better used. Um for someone else but i think that's that's where a lot of the outroar was i just feel like it was very tone deaf like this entire year has been kind of like our country's reckoning with like 
the racial injustice that's going on and like people are finally waking up to what's happening which you know is a good thing but at the same time like we're not going to make any progress if nobody's willing to make progress <laughs> like if we're not going to actually like hold entities like sports illustrated accountable for these things like the same the same systems of oppression are going to keep oppressing so I don't know. Like you said, there there was plenty of other candidates that could have been chosen. And not to say that she wasn't deserving at all, but there was. And mm-hmm. I mean, they were erased because they were black. Yeah. Seems pretty obvious. I don't know. And it just feels like sometimes like on on social media, like people were just dancing around that. Like instead of just being like, Look, this is what it is, this is what's <laughs> happening, and we just need to call it out for what it is. Like we're yeah. never gonna one of the things that like I like about this book, The New Jim Crow, is it talks about how like a lot of our problems are stemming from the fact that like we try and claim ourselves as like a colorblind society and like that's a problem. Like if we're claiming that race doesn't have anything to do with anything, like when it clearly does, it influences almost every aspect of life. Like we're not gonna get anywhere. So I think we're seeing it again in this moment and we've seen it all year. And so it's like you know, that's part of, I think, the collective trauma what Black people are experiencing right now is, like, just having to see this shit over and over and over and over again. And, like, you know, we see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Uh, but, you know, we need white people to, to step up and yeah, we, confront I, their own biases. For sure. All right, so let's lighten the mood up a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit, and get into one of our favorite parts of the show. Um a little game oh, we I call like this. It's my no card, card, yellow card, red card. So I wish I had a card. <laughs> I'm gonna get some card one day. Watch. Um, so this is a rapid fire uh, segment of the show where I spit out some topics and using the soccer card system, uh, our guests here as well as the Moby will give their their thoughts and opinions on it um, in their ratings on these topics. So. Uh, no card obviously is I'm in agreement. I'm cool with it. Yellow card is I can go either way, and red card is I disagree or I'm not cool with it. All right, so we got two topics this week. Um, first one: no card, yellow card, red card. The Athletic omitting the NWSL bubble in its list of top moments in the year 2020. Red card. Red card. She said red for sure. Um, I would say, yeah, I got to give it a red. I was going to give it a yellow, but after the, you look at the list, um, 20 moments, yeah, it's definitely, because they're the first ones. They completed it the whole way through, no no hiccups, and then the ratings were really high, right? So, yeah, you got you to you put that in there. Yeah, red car. Yeah, it was a complete success, and, like, living in the bubble, like, it was so well-managed, and... It was incredible. And like, I feel like a lot of us as players were like worried about what was going to happen and worried because it like hadn't been done before, but we did it and it was successful and we were all safe and I felt very safe during it. And so for that to be overlooked, like not only in this thing, but the entire year, it's been overshadowed by like, you know, the NBA bubble or 
I don't know. I don't y'all, know y'all, 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 y'all didn't have like barbershops and y'all didn't have like golf courses. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is like women don't need all that frou-frou stuff. We're all, we're going to get the job done. We always do. Mm-hmm. So we didn't need the barbershops or the mm-hmm. fancy food. You know, I got postmated food. I got some uh, Instacarted groceries and I was chilling, okay. you know, yeah. red card. Shout out Instacart Postmates. If y'all want to sponsor this episode, hit us up. Hit up oh, L. He's over there. Now, <laughs> yeah, Uber Eats. Or Uber <laughs> wants to sponsor the show. Holla at me. <laughs> Sending some uh, promo codes. All right. All right, next up. Uh, no card, yellow card, red card. UCLA switching to Nike slash Jordan brand for the athletic teams. I'm going to say red card because I'm so mad, but like really no card because that's amazing for them. But I'm so mad. It's oh, like they... I was like, why are you saying red card? No. Like, it's like all the gear you could have got, right? Oh my gosh. The year after I left, like I could have been, you know, dripped out in Nike, but no card, yeah. I guess. The baby blue Nikes, like the, the basketball team and football team is going to get so decked out. It's not even fun. Jordan, oh my gosh. They're going to get so decked out. Like finally... I'm an Adidas guy just because, like, just, you know, loyalties. But this is finally how we're going to start recruiting some top talent. Yeah. Yo, you come to the campus, you see, like, what we're working with. Then you get to the, you know, locker room and you see the gear. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's going to be different now. So we, oh. might, we might finally win a couple games again. When it comes <laughs> to, uh, you know, the football and definitely the basketball. So. Yeah. I mean. Apparel you know, So. I don't, I don't know how successful the football <laughs> team will be. Um, My I'm, dad, I'm, I'm talking shit because I'm I'm an Oregon fan, and you know Chip was notoriously the coach for Oregon in our in our glory days, our early yeah. glory days. Um, but you know, people have learned his offense. He's kind of fallen off since then. So yeah. My dad has a Rose Bowl ring from UCLA, so you know they used to be great, but <laughs> now not so much. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. I don't know. We're going to have to pay Nick Staven whatever he wants. We got to get somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. I definitely, I'm still going to try and finesse some gear. I still know some people there. So, you know. Okay. I'm yeah. going to do my best. <laughs> so, respect. Cool. Well, that's it for the week. Kaya, thank you for coming on. We definitely enjoyed it. Got to come back again, you know, run our book club or something like that. Yes, once you read the book. <laughs> yeah, that's on, that's on the to-do list. But where can the people find you? Where, like, where are you at? Obviously Twitter, but if they want to um, connect with you. You know, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I literally respond to almost everything. So, like, shoot me a tweet or a DM. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty open. I Like I said, I kind of overshare everything. So I feel like people will be able to find me if they look hard enough. <laughs> Oh, What's your at? My at is Hayakaya, so H I Y A K A I Y A. Hayakaya. Little fun rhyme that I've done my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that was your like AIM screen name back in the day, or what? I'm I'm not old enough for that. Oh damn! Yeah. Wow. I just aged myself right there, huh? Yeah, you did. Sorry. Are you Gen Z? I think I'm technically like a cusper. Like I was born in 1998, so I'm kind of on the older side of Gen Z. Yeah, but 
I don't I don't in between a I think they call us like a zillennial. A zillennial. Because I'm like not a millennial, but I'm not really Gen Z. We're kind of our own thing. So. Oh, that's so crazy. You yeah. know what the name is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm that's sorry. Crazy. Oh wow. Yeah, I just aged myself. Wow, okay. <laughs> I'm hurt right now. Yeah. But yeah, on that note, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to come on. Happy holidays. Uh, for the audience, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. We just broke 100 subscribers on the YouTube channel. Much love on that. Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC. Check us out our merch at Two Cents You see me rocking out the gear, got the hat, you know, L's rocking the the long sleeve tee. I think he still has the promo code up, so it would be a good time to yep. get in if you need a promo holiday. One hundred. I'll put it up on the put it in the uh, the description down there. Twenty percent off. Oh, twenty percent off. Yeah, you got to take that, yeah. and it helps support the show. You know, we're not even rocking out with sponsors, so you know, we're doing it straight from the audience, straight from the fan love, straight from the family. So uh, make sure you get that gear. Tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or L to discuss. As you guys know, the only soccer pod, soccer show where you get unfiltered thoughts and opinions every Friday. Y'all know what it is. Catch y'all later. Peace out. Bye.